Welcome to the sermon podcast for First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Please visit us at FCCWarsaw.com to learn more about our church or to make plans to be with us on a Sunday morning. Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com. This is Jonah, and he's overboard. A few minutes ago, he was up here with these guys, but they threw him into the sea. To understand why, let's back up. Jonah was a prophet. He got messages from God and delivered them to people. God will restore our land. Everything was fine until God gave him this message. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. Jonah didn't like the message, and he really didn't like Nineveh. So he did what any of us might do when confronted with the clear, unchanging will of an all-powerful God. He ran. He ran in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he didn't stop at the sea. He kept going on this boat with these guys. Until they realized that Jonah was the cause of this horrible storm that tossed their ship, and they tossed him overboard. That's when Jonah met the very big fish. Fish stomachs are strange places, but they get you thinking about life. And Jonah realized he'd made a mess of his. He decided that God's way is the best way, no matter what. And he got the chance to prove it. Jonah arrived in Nineveh, a foreign city filled with godless people. He knew his mission. He held his message. All that remained was a choice. Speak or run. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed! With those words, Jonah went overboard again. Not like a fool being tossed to the sea, but like a man diving headfirst into destiny and something wonderful happened. People were saved. A triumph of mercy sent emotion by one man, armed with eight words and the decision to stop running and start talking. That is the story of Jonah. And the really big fish. That's gonna leave us dizzy. friends, let's open our Bibles to the book of Jonah this morning. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, what we're going to be looking at from God's Word today. A friend of mine told me about the day that he was leaving home for college. He was going off to a rather large university, and he'd grown up in a Christian home with very godly parents. And he told me as he was packing up his final things in his room, getting ready to walk out the door, his dad walked into his bedroom sat on the edge of his bed and said, I have one last thing I want to tell you before you go. And he said, here it is. Son, don't leave God at home. And my friend said, I walked out the door of my house, and that is exactly what I did. I left God at home. Now, I'm guessing some of you can relate to that story. 
Maybe the time came when it was the day for you to leave home, and maybe you, you did leave God at home. Maybe you entered a, a season of rebellion or a season of running from God. It was kind of like, you're on your own, you're free, you could do whatever you want. Or maybe for you, it's an ongoing season of running or rebellion. Maybe right now, honestly, each day when you leave home for work or for school, it's kind of like you are leaving God at home. Because you just kind of go into the day and maybe you're not really thinking about him much or maybe not even thinking about pleasing him. And maybe life looks a little bit different at work or school than it does at home. Honestly, maybe some of us, when we come to a worship service on Sunday and we head out the doors, maybe we leave God at church and we just kind of go do our, our own thing throughout the course of the week. If you're familiar in any way with, like, rebelling or running, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament is going to be a great encouragement to you today. Because Jonah was definitely a guy who left God at home, as we saw in that little cartoon video there a moment ago, and he entered a season of rebellion. He entered a season of, of running. He was a guy who lived quite a long time ago, back during the period of the Old Testament kings. And it was during that time that, that Jonah rebelled. In fact, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh wasn't the kind of place that you'd really want to go and preach against. Nineveh was a major city of Assyria. In fact, later on, a little later after this, it would become the capital of Assyria. But in the time of Jonah... Assyria was a kingdom on the rise, and something we need to know about them that makes a little bit more sense of this whole story is that the Assyrian warriors, uh, those coming from Nineveh, they were especially brutal when they went into battle. Uh, they showed no mercy. They were a fearsome, fearsome group of people employing very inhumane tactics in the way that they captured people that were quite frightening and very disgusting. They were barbarians. One commentator says that at the time that Jonah received this message, the Assyrians had already made an initial thrust, if you will, into the northern kingdom of Israel, and they had destroyed Jonah's hometown. They may have even killed his parents. They may have killed some extended family members of him. So to Jonah, this was personal. Go to Nineveh. These people were famous for their cruel torture of POWs, especially toward the Jews. And Jonah here is commanded to go directly into enemy camp toward people that he probably already had some hatred against and some big-time fear of. So he was commanded to go during a time when they were still enemies. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah got up. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Now, it had been impossible for Jonah to go in a much more opposite direction than what he did. I have a little map here to kind of give you uh, somewhat of an indication of what Jonah did. So Jonah boarded his ship in Joppa and Nineveh was completely the other direction from Tarshish. This would sort of be like God coming to one of us here in Warsaw, Indiana, saying, I want you to go and I want you to preach in New York City. And as fast as we could, we went to Los Angeles. That, that's pretty much what Jonah did. Like he, he flat out went the opposite direction 
as fast as he could. And you might expect from maybe what we know of God that he would block the way for Jonah to be able to do this. He would put some obstacle in his path so no, he wouldn't be able to flee in the way he did. But actually Jonah had no trouble, no trouble whatsoever finding a ship and finding a comfortable place below deck. In fact, it was so cozy that he just immediately fell asleep. God put up no roadblock to his initial running away. And things went relatively smooth for Jonah at first. Perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps there was a time when you, quote-unquote, ran away from God, and maybe you discovered how easy it was at first. Maybe at first it seemed kind of thrilling to be doing things that you hadn't done before, or maybe out from under mom and dad's wings, out on your own, doing stuff for the first time, living life, experiencing life, whatever the case may have been. Maybe it's a season right now, and maybe you're Maybe you know that you're in an active season of not walking with the Lord, and hey, it's kind of fun, if you were to be honest about it. Maybe it does seem kind of thrilling, kind of fun. Maybe you're enjoying it. Perhaps it energizes you to be a part of this. Smooth sailing, if you will. Smooth sailing even though you're headed in the wrong direction. And that's exactly what was going on with Jonah. At first, smooth sailing in the wrong direction. Maybe he really did think he could run away, with God, run away from God and that there'd be no repercussions for doing that. But Jonah didn't really run away from God at all because God loved Jonah too much to let him get away. God set a series of events in place to get Jonah's attention and to get his heart back. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart, and still Jonah continued to sleep. The sailors woke him up, told him to pray. They cast lots to see in their pagan worldview who it was on board the ship that had caused the great storm to come up. They cast lots to figure out which one it was. We might say they, they drew straws. Or Did you know that our English word lottery comes from the, the, the phrase to cast lots, like drawing numbers at random is a form of casting lots, a lottery. So they did a lottery to see which person had sinned, and the lottery winner or loser, if you will, was this guy named Jonah. So Jonah told him, I'm running from God. Throw me overboard. The storm will calm down. They, they didn't want to do that, so they the sailors tried to row even more aggressively to see if they could get toward land, but they, they couldn't. So finally they relented and they threw Jonah overboard into the sea and immediately the waters went quiet. The sea grew calm. But God wasn't done with Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, some people find that part of the story kind of hard to believe. And maybe even as you're here today, maybe this is a, a hang-up with you on the Bible as a whole. Uh, if so, I, I get that. I've, I've heard people say that before. I had a neighbor one time back in the Chicago suburbs who found out I was a Christian and a, a pastor, no less. And one of the first things he said to me, like this was probably the week after he found out I was a pastor. We're having a across-the-yard, backyard conversation. He says to me, you believe in that Jonah story? 
think that was real that he got swallowed by a fish and he lived through it? Like this sometimes is on people's mind. This is like a, a litmus test. Can I believe what's in the Bible? Because there was a guy that got swallowed by a fish and apparently he lived in there three days. It sounds kind of weird, kind of fishy, if you will. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I told my friend across the backyard fence. You can tell me later if, if you think this was somewhat orthodox or okay. I said to him, hey, what I find interesting about the scriptures, the whole Bible, if you will. So I have never found anywhere in the Bible that says, believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and lived there for three days and you'll be saved. I, I haven't seen that passage in the scriptures, but I have seen where God has said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So I said, my, my approach to the whole Bible is to start with Jesus and go from there. I know that Jesus was a historical figure. I know He's God in the flesh, come to earth. He died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again. And the same book that tells me that Jesus did that has the story of Jonah in it. So I start with Jesus, because he's my savior, right? And then I told him a couple other things about this Jonah incident. For one, it's in this inspired book, the Bible, and it's not told to us as though it's a parable or an allegory. It's just written as though it's a historical event, which is interesting because Jonah was a historical figure. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, he was one of the Old Testament prophets. So he was a real-life living guy. There's a historical record of him. And what's even more interesting is that Jesus spoke of Jonah and what happened to him as though it were a historical fact, or if it was true. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was talking about how he would die, be buried in a tomb, and, and raised back to life. And he mentioned that that happened to Jonah, and it was going to happen to him as well. And what I find even more compelling in some ways than all of that is, we'll read it in just a moment, Jonah's incredibly accurate picture of what it was like to be in the depths of the sea. This was back, written at a time when there wasn't scuba gear, there weren't deep sea divers, you know, nobody had oxygen tanks that they could go down in the depths, and, and yet we're going to read in just a moment, like, well, it sure sounds like he was down there, how else would he know what the picture of under the sea looked like, which I, I think is quite fascinating. So anyway, if you find the story hard to believe, I get it, it sounds a little weird up front. But there's an awful lot of evidence to suggest that God had this very thing happen for a really specific purpose so that people would be saved. So Jonah rebelled, but God wasn't done with Jonah. Three days inside a fish made Jonah do some reflecting, and here's what he prayed from inside the fish, Jonah chapter 2. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I, I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, like the depths of the earth. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. You know, sometimes we pray that God will bring a loved one back 
to the Lord without any pain or without any suffering, right? But sometimes God has a very different plan in mind. The rebellious person may need some discomfort. They may need some brokenness to awaken them or capture their attention, if you will. And Jonah's prayer reveals that he was actually quite thankful for the pain that brought him back to God. Verse, verse 5, the water engulfed me up to the neck. And this is the part I, I think is such an interesting description of under the sea for back in the time when it was written. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. How would he have known that was down there, or even to describe that, what that was like? I sank to the foundation of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So out of his repentance, then, Jonah was restored. The fish spit Jonah out of his mouth onto dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 say, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And God gave Jonah a second chance. And the command the second time sounded a whole lot like the command the first time. God didn't change his mind somewhere in the middle of all this. God's word doesn't change. God was faithful to his word. And Jonah was faithful to God. Verse 3 of Jonah 3. Jonah got up. This time he went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. The message was, you guys need to change your ways, or God's going to bring destruction on your city in 40 days. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Verse 10, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. So Jonah discovers some surprising and encouraging promises from God here during his time of running away. I want to give you two of them here this morning. First promise, God disciplines the rebellious. Not all promises of God in the Bible are equally comforting, and maybe this one is not as comforting as some others, but God does discipline rebellious people. One of the things he promises to do is to discipline us as his children, and he does this because he loves us as our father. Book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 12, describes it like this. God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So Jonah experienced some discipline through a big storm and a big fish. But for us, like if we enter a season of rebellion or if we enter a season of walking away from God or a season of doing things in a certain area of our life that are contrary to his ways, and when he disciplines us, what might that look like? Well, it might look like trouble starts to happen at work. There's hardships at home or other difficulties in life. Maybe God allows us to experience some kind of loss or maybe some physical ailment. But most often, God simply allows the natural consequences of our sin to run their full course and for us to 
if you will, reap what we have sown, and we begin to experience some of the negative results that come as a result of just not walking with God day by day. So he disciplines us. The second promise, this one's a little more comforting. God restores the repentant. One of the sins God hates most is rebellion, but he loves sinners more than he hates sin. And here's, here's the verse on the, the bookmark. If you haven't gotten one of these yet, grab one of them off the, the pub table in the back. We have a verse for each week of this series. But the promise we wanted to highlight this week in times of rebellion is from 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 30, verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. How about we read that one out loud up here on the screen, okay? We'll start with the word for. Let's, let's read it together. Ready? For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. You know, the, the word repent or repentance in the Bible, it literally just means to make a U-turn. It's sort of like we were going one direction in life and we realized, oh no, that's, that's the wrong direction. And we turn and we go back toward following God. Repentance is a U-turn. And God restores people who are willing to make these life U-turns to realize that is not the direction to go to please God, to honor God, to flourish in life, to love others. And when we have one of those aha moments of like, no, no, that's the wrong way. I'm going to turn just like, just like Jonah did. I'm not going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to turn. I'm going to go to Nineveh, just like God asked me to do, U-turn. Go back the way he asked me to go. God restores repentant people. We want to show you a, a video testimony here this morning. Somebody here at First Christian Church who's experienced this in a real way in their life. And that's Josh Schmucker. You may know, some of you, if you've attended here for a while, bits and pieces of his story. But we were able to capture on video uh, Josh telling us a little bit more deeply about a season of rebellion in his life and how God brought him to a place of restoration and healing through repentance. So take a look at this video. Hi, my name is Josh Schmucker, and I've been going to First Christian Church for about 10 to 12 years, I want to say. Our family has attended here. Didn't start out as a journey that I was planning on going on, but most of life never really does. As most of you know, I am in recovery from excessive alcohol use six years a couple of Sundays ago but the part of the story that you might not know is how we've got from being in the depths of despair to the person that you see before you. Uh, at one point in my life I was homeless with nothing but a backpack and a sleeping bag in the middle of February which if some of you have lived in this area for any length of time, know that it is not warm. And the thought going through your mind of how I got from being this larger-than-life radio personality in town to being in the pits of despair and having nothing but a sleeping bag and nobody even offering a couch for you to sleep on for a night is incredibly hard to wrap one's brain around. You ask yourself the question, God, I know you're there, but where are you at? 
you're so trapped in addiction that it's almost like being in a prison. You're within these four walls, so to speak, and those four walls are more of like a pit. I mean, my story is probably different than most because my faith has been pretty solid since about the second grade. Even on my darkest days, I would stumble into the four walls of this building, most of the time probably not in all that great of shape, but I made it. But at the same point in time, I was unwilling to relinquish that control and that full surrender that God asks of all of us. Some of you may remember me from the WRSW days and being the jelly man, being unwilling to relinquish control of that former life to gain the life that God had for me was anything but easy. I mean, I almost felt a little bit maybe like Jonah did where he wanted to do it his way and he tried very hard to do it his way but failed miserably and wound up in the belly of a whale. I didn't end up in the belly of a whale per se, but I ended up in the belly of a bottle and just buried in addiction trying to run from the person God created me to be. I mean, it has to be less of me and more of Him every single day. That previous life, while I am reminded of it constantly, it no longer exists in Christ's eyes. And to remind myself of that every single day, it's a huge blessing and a huge weight off of my shoulders. There is no darkness that the past rebellious life could ever try and bring up that the light of Christ can't outshine. And I'm good with that. If there's anything that I could stress to anybody is to pay attention to the moments that you are going through and rather than look at it as a burden, look at it as a blessing and what you can learn from it. Not so much how is this damaging me, but how is this teaching me and preparing me for what God has in store. And even though the enemy may feed you full of lies and tell you you're worthless, and sometimes you may believe it, there is absolutely no shame in waking up every day, putting on the full armor of God, and realizing how far you have come. You just don't realize everything that trying to do it your own way takes from you versus trying to do it the way that God has planned for you. One thing that I do know is life with Christ is far better than doing it without Him. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from First Christian Church of Warsaw, Indiana. We invite you to join us for worship on an upcoming Sunday morning. Check out our website at fccwarsaw.com for more details and information. 
Again, that's FCCWarsaw.com.